Come on. Hello, dear listener. Before we get into today's show, quick ask. If you find value in today's show or you've gotten value out of a previous show, please leave us a quick five-star review. Be super grateful. Thanks a lot. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome today's guest, a strong and powerful Sanger Smith. Sanger, are you ready to do this? I am. Thanks so much for having me, George. Yeah, yeah. Excited to have you on. Sanger is a BFA and APMA. He is a financial advisor and the managing partner of Clear Fork Wealth Management, helping business owners make great money decisions. I'm excited to have you on again. Sanger, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Oh, man, that's that's a lot. Three big questions yes, yes. that might take up an hour apiece. <laughs> I don't know. I might talk your ear off here. Um, you know, like you said, George, I'm a, I'm an advisor here in Fort Worth, our, our team in Fort Worth, Clear Fork Wealth Management, what we do is we focus on decision management when it comes to your money, when it comes to your money and achieving what you want out of your life with your money, the biggest thing is the choices that you make, right? The, the, the investments that you own are going to play a big role. Um, how much money you earn is going to play a big role, but people of all incomes with all sorts of investment portfolios go broke. People who make great choices get what they want out of life. So what we do is we work with people on an ongoing comprehensive basis to analyze their entire financial life and guide them through different decision points. And sometimes those are big decision points. How do I most effectively leave my assets to my children and save money on taxes doing that right and make sure that when they get it they are good stewards of it that's a big one sometimes it's should i refinance my house (laughs) right Mm -hmm. sometimes it's a lot smaller sometimes it's i can save an extra thousand bucks a month where should i put it but there are a lot of choices that we have to make and that's what excites me so much about the work that i do is working through those choices with people because there's no playbook that's going to be right for you and your neighbor and your brother-in-law and everybody else. There's no one strategy when it comes to meeting your financial goals that works across the board. It takes, it takes a lot of thoughtful planning. So I got into this industry because, um, my dad, really some people grow up learning how to work on cars uh, with their dad, some people grow up learning how to fish and hunt. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't learn any of that, <laughs> George. <laughs> I learned how to be a financial advisor. That is what my dad taught me. So I started working in high school, uh, learning the the ins and outs of the business. And, and I always thought it was intriguing. You know, okay, advisors, you get to help people, help rich people get richer, help, help rich people not get broke. Okay. <laughs> seems fun. You get to talk to people. Um, you know, it's not, it's not working out in the hot sun, cutting down logs or, or anything like that. It right. seems, seems nice, but I didn't know that I needed to be an advisor until I inherited my granddad's old hunting rifle. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you about that real quick. My granddad uh, was was a great guy. Um, 
I call them Aji, you know, in I'm in, I'm from Texas and Texas, we all have goofy names for our grandparents. So I call them Aji, right? Well, Aji was a uh, mustachioed small town Texas man who fit the bill of every dude born in a tiny town in Texas, right? He had Pearl Snap shirt on everywhere he went. Um, <laughs> he had a big mustache. He uh, loved hunting, riding his horses and smoking cigarettes. Well, he ended up passing away when I was in high school and I inherited this old Remington 25-06 hunting rifle from him. And I didn't think much of that rifle until seven months later during deer season. I take out the rifle. I'm walking through this field early in the morning, right? The sun's not even up yet. I'm freezing my toes off. I'm decked out head to toe in camo and I'm creeping over to the deer blind. And as I'm creeping over to the deer blind, trying not to make a sound, not to step on a twig, you know, scare off all the deer, I start to smell a fire. I'm like, oh, what the heck is going on? You know, I, I look around, there's no smoke, no flames, nothing, nothing crazy. And then I look over my right shoulder, I take a dip, big deep breath, and I realize that what I had thought was a fire was his cigarette smoke on the leather strap of the rifle. Oh, right? how funny. <laughs> so... I, I pack everything up because I know in that moment, hunt is ruined, right? It's over with. I'm not going to sneak up on a 12-point smelling like Marlboros. <laughs> so I get in my truck and I drive to the Heiko Cemetery where he's buried next to his sisters or his brother and um, his mom and dad and that whole side of the family. And so when I got there, I get out of the truck. I turn off the radio. I was playing this old Willie Nelson song called the Uncloudy Day. I always play it whenever I think of him. I turn off the radio, I'll go over to the gravesite. The only thing that was there was this smooth pile of dirt. It wasn't a headstone. And so I call my mom. I said, hey, mom, what the heck? Why does my granddad not have a headstone? She goes, oh, you know, they can pay for it. And she meant like, you know, his wife and other children. <laughs> they can pay for it. And I said, well, you can pay for it. You have the money. And she says, well, I paid for his funeral. And in that moment, I realized that he didn't have enough money for a funeral, hmm. enough money for a headstone, and that that rifle that I had, that I still have, that is one of my most prized possessions, was the sum total of his inheritance that he left behind. And so that moment is what I credit to me realizing that my life's passion was working with people to make sure that the legacy that they get to leave for their children is more meaningful, it's more impactful, it's more long-lasting than material goods. Nice. I appreciate that. Nice to have uh, have that light bulb turn on, right, where where it, 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 it just clicks. I think a lot of the time we can intellectually understand the value of the work that we're doing, whatever that work is, but sometimes it does take that real moment where the pieces finally do fall into place and you just sort of get it, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think it's important to, to have a, a strong why in what you do. And, and I'm lucky enough to have that. Um, I, I love the work that I do. I love the people that I get to work for. You know, I love my clients. They give me the opportunity to, to, to live out my passion every day. And you're, you're absolutely right. 
having that having that moment um, it's pretty helpful yeah for sure so talking about decisions we're faced with probably way too many decisions right just on a just on a daily basis and so we certainly suffer fatigue but when we're talking about the really important decisions how we're allocating our time and our money and our resources and making those kinds of decisions which is what you help people with how how important is it to it sounds kind of dumb to think about it but to be super intentional with those decisions down the road like 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 your grandpa putting sure. your loved ones in a position where they're not having to decide am, am I going to get a headstone for my dad grandfather whatever it might be yeah so a lot of people when they hear what I do they hear about financial planning they think what that means is I've got to have a step-by-step, year-by-year, month-by-month, day-by-day plan for my finances. Like like a training plan if you were going to run a marathon. Hmm. Right Next Tuesday, I'm going to run seven miles and I got to do it at an eight-minute pace. No, you can't do that with your finances. And the reason you can't do that with your finances is because everything changes. Everything changes. Your income is going to change. Your spending is going to change. Your your wants are going to change. Your goals may change. There's so many things that can change that you you can't even control, right? This year really showed a lot of people the the reality of that. Um, as far as COVID, as far as having you know steady streams of income that people thought they could rely on for the next 50 years, all of a sudden, just snap of a finger, gone. So because we don't, we don't know what's going to happen, we can't predict the future when it comes to the stock market, our investments, our own choices, our own needs, our family plans, our health. We can't predict the future for anything. Um, we have to operate with that certainty, the certainty that we will not know, the certainty of the uncertainty. And so when it comes to those decisions, since I can't plan out that decision that you're going to make five years from now, what we've got to do is start to align your, the trajectory that you're on financially with your values and your goals now, knowing that both of those may change. So the, what, that, what I mean when I say that is when it comes to decisions, there, there are a lot of things that, that trip people up when they're not prepared. And the biggest is the emotional impact on the decision-making process or the impact of emotions on the decision-making process. So when people are unprepared, then we have a decision that is forced upon us. Hmm. That may be um, you, you weren't financially prepared to or thoroughly thought out uh, purchasing a house, but all of a sudden your dream house is on the market. Well, now we're high emotion. We're very excited. Uh, well, we're, we're probably not prepared for this. We didn't have the money in the right places. Yeah. We didn't think out the cash flow implications of making this purchase. But geez, it's my dream house. Um, the other one is uh, I don't have my investments aligned to my risk tolerance and I don't have a, a diversified investment portfolio. But now the market's down 10, 20, 30 percent like it was this year. 30% in 30 days. Well, now we're at a high emotion point. We're at, we're at a stress point of negative emotions 
and we weren't prepared. So being prepared is, um, and being aligned financially to your goals and to your values with your actions, making sure the things that you're doing lines up with the type of financial life that you want to lead. Doing that when times are good means that when times are bad or when times are really good, when you have those emotional peaks and valleys, you're able to navigate them without messing up. Yeah, I think that that's really well said right there. I remember the first time I read about uh, Daniel Kahneman's work, how he talked about how the vast majority, like 90% of our decisions around money are based on emotion. I thought there's no way. But then when you really think about it, it's it's it's, it's so true. So I'm, I'm surprised it's that low. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised it's that low. You know, so the, the, from everything, uh, decisions are based on emotion. I mean, from your your shopper, shopping addict who, who goes in to the store and needed $50 uh, trinket and ends up leaving with $500. Well, that's an emotional purchase, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, almost all decision making when it comes to investing that is made around the world is is emotional. Most people invest emotionally for, you know, good or bad. Some people get more aggressive emotionally. Some people turn up the gas out of emotion. Yeah. get really excited about an opportunity. That opportunity isn't one that they should be taking. So how do we, how do we put ourselves in, in a position where we are, is it just working to be mindful of those emotions or just walk me through the process of how you put people in position to be successful? Yeah, sure. So, and that's a big, big task, mm-hmm. right? That's not something that I can sit down with someone and in 30 minutes, we're going to, for the rest of your life, mitigate the All impact done. of your emotion. <laughs> hey, you're done. You you read this pamphlet or or even a book or a series of books. I can't, we can't never just completely solve that problem, right? Um, it'd be kind of like if you, you wanted to get healthy, well, you want to, you want to lose weight, you want to build muscle, you want to, whatever you want to do, you have a health goal. Well, you're not going to, a, a three week, three week crash course isn't going to change your life. You're going to have to continue to take action forever. Oh, I need to, I need to get my blood pressure down. I'll just start working out. Well, okay. You're gonna have to do that forever. <laughs> you, right. can't, you can't just work out for a few weeks. So when it comes to mitigating the impact of your emotions on the decision-making process, when it comes to your money, there's a different answer depending upon the area of your financial life that we're talking about. So a lot of people uh, the, the easiest example that I can think of is with your investments, right? So there's several things that, that I can do in that area to make sure that emotions are, are less impactful. So number one is making sure that the investments that you own are tied specifically to financial goals that you want to achieve. Tied specifically to financial goals you want to achieve. Now, the easiest one that everybody has is retirement. Everybody wants to be able to retire at some point. Some people never do. They work forever because they love their job. But everyone wants to be able to not have to rely on the paycheck, right? So there are other goals that you will have that your investment should be tied to. Maybe that's your next home, your next car, new business that you're looking to achieve. Uh, maybe that's leaving money for your kids. It, it, there's so many things, right? 
Um, so when it comes to all of those investments or all of those goals, we can't treat them the same. We can't achieve them all with the exact same investment strategy. So tying that strategy to your goals, making sure that your risk tolerance is appropriate for those goals when it comes and the time horizon is appropriate for the risk tolerance, right? So if you're 35 years old and you're looking towards retirement and you're saving way more than you need to, and you've got already a ton of cushion built in, yeah, you can probably afford to be aggressive as long as you know what that means, right? Whereas someone who's 60 hasn't quite saved as much as they could have, retirement's coming right at them. Ah, they probably can't afford it even if they wanted to. Yeah. Right? So there's different ends of that spectrum. And so the problem with, with investment risk tolerance is when we're not tied to those goals, then when we see changes in the market, we don't know how our goals are impacted. All we see is what the newsman tells us. Hey, the Dow Jones is down X percent today. Oh, man, that's scary. Right. Oh, is my money down 10% today? I don't yeah. know. Well, a lot of times when I work with my clients and we get the investment specifically lined up for their goals so that they know exactly where they stand. They know this. The, these investments are going to the new house. These investments are going to the new business. These investments are going to retirement. These investments are going to the kids. Is when we see market pullbacks, they're able to very, very, very quickly and easily assess the impact of that market downturn on their ability or probability to achieve those goals. And most of the time, if we've done our job correctly, the impact's very little. Nice. I hope that makes sense. No, it does. I think it's, it's yeah, super important. And it's easy to get your brain around that, right? That my investments should be tied to my specific goals and that that allows me to to probably understand it better, but to make sure that my risk tolerance is appropriate, my time horizon is 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 appropriate to those, versus just having this. Yeah. So these are my investments. Exactly. A lot of a lot of people. Um, it it depends. You know, there's there's a broad range of people that are they're the DIY investors. They're going to spend eight hours a day reading Motley Fool. Right. And they, they know everything. Right. A lot of your listeners are are above average as far as financial literacy, right? Sure. <laughs> Obviously, we're listening to the money savage. You, you guys know something about money. <laughs> so uh, that's that, that's one end of the spectrum. The other end, or, or the, the problem that I see with a lot of people is they focus on maximizing return or or at the very least, they, they focus on optimizing return. So we can get success there when when our goal is, I want to get the best return possible. Oh, okay, but it's got to be appropriate for that goal, right? So a lot of people lump in everything together and they've got this one big pot of money. Mm. And then what happens is we come to a decision point on that goal that wasn't even clear. You, you know, how, how uh, the, like I said, if the opportunity to buy that house comes up, but we haven't been segmenting money off for a house. Right. We haven't been segmenting money off for uh, this this new business opportunity. We haven't been segmenting money off for your dream car. And then it gets there. And now we're excited about it. And now you've got the choice. Hey, am I going to pull 250000 out of my portfolio? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. 
oh, maybe I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, maybe my risk tolerance is too high to to achieve that. And then now the market pulled back 10%, you know, three weeks before my closing date. Yeah. On my house. <laughs> There's so many things that can go wrong. So when it comes to, you know, removing emotions, that's only one piece is getting the goal, getting your goals very clear. The second one is getting your risk tolerance to a point where you can stomach it. So a lot of people, when, when I, you know, I mentioned earlier that there's no pamphlet that you can read that's going to work for you and your next door neighbor. Um, a lot of people come to me with ideas on rules as far as asset allocation. They say, oh, well, Sanger, I heard that you need to have you know, 60% of your money in stocks. I, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that works for you. Maybe. Depends on what you're trying to do. Right. It depends on what you're trying to do. But that happens all the time. People think, oh, well, the optimist, you know, and well, I'm I'm this old and I'm going to work for this long. Therefore, my asset allocation is here. No, n not necessarily. Not necessarily. Because you've got to factor in your own human emotions. How are you going to feel? How are you really, really, really going to feel when your portfolio pulls back? Because it will. When your portfolio pulls back, look at your asset allocation now, figure out how much would this have pulled back in 2008, in the spring of 2020, in the fourth quarter of 2018, in the early 2000s. How much would it have pulled back during those very recent stress points in the market? And am I going to be able to sleep like a baby knowing that my portfolio is down that much yeah. in a short period of time? And when faced with the reality of those numbers, a lot of people realize that maybe they were being too aggressive. And that's the problem is once for most people is they realize they were being too aggressive once the downturn's already there. Yeah. And then what do you do? Right. That's not a happy place. <laughs> no, it's a terrifying place. Yeah. It's a terrifying place. You know, I thankfully most the vast 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 majority of my clients you know, 99% do not freak out because we've done all of that work yeah. ahead of time. That's right. Um, but not every advisor has that experience. Some, they get tons of calls and not every individual investor has that experience of being able to calmly ride through the storm. That's the truth. Well, Sanger, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? My difference-making tip is that... Number one, uh, have an advisor on your team. Uh, that's not a huge difference-making tip, but um, my, my real difference-making tip would be to explicitly understand the values that you want your family to live by financially. Well, I think that is great stuff that definitely gets a come on. Come on. Zanger, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Uh, you can follow me uh, on clearforkwealth.com. That's our website. That's my company. Uh, my whole team, we're on there. Uh, you, I'm very easy to find on the internet. I've got a goofy, unique name, Sanger Smith. Uh, not a whole lot of those running around. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn or, or um, yeah, LinkedIn or my website. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Sanger your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to clearforkwealth.com. 
Find them on social media. I'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Sanger. Thank you, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right.